What's up, friends? Welcome to Web3 Academy, a place for entrepreneurs, creators, and marketers to explore and learn how to use Web3 to transform business models and create thriving communities. Enjoy this next episode. GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy. It is the weekly doer spotlight where we highlight somebody doing things in the Web3 world. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Jay Hamilton, here with you. Kyle is here as always as well. What's up, Kai? What's up, friends? Happy to be here. Looking forward to talking with uh, with our guest today. I'll let yeah. you uh, say yeah, don't, who it is. Don't interrupt my, uh, my introduction. Give me a sec here, man. Uh, so today with us, we have Jason Keith. Uh, Jason is the co-founder of Social Fresh. Social Fresh is the original social media conference and also a consultancy, and they produce research as well. Uh, Jason's also a artist, an NFT artist, a writer, uh, brand strategist, and really an all things social and Web3 expert. Uh, I know he's also part of the Jump community, which I'm in there with him as well. Um, and uh, they've got Social Fresh. The conference is coming back this year in person, which is very exciting. Uh, I think that's in less than a month. So Jason, thanks so much for giving us the time as you lead up to uh, this big conference, which I know I was looking at some of the speakers. You got Lyft, Twitter, Square, Shopify, Audi, just an incredible uh, guest list. And just just before you jump in here, Jason, he also recently in his spare time, I don't know how you have the time, Jason, uh, launched Remint DAO, uh, which we're really excited to chat about that as well. Really cool project. Um, and uh, I think I think I might have to join in on that one by the end of this, I'm sure. Uh, Jason, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle and Jay. Excited to talk about all things Web3 and social. And uh, just in general, I don't know how I find time to do things easier, easier but it, it's helpful <laughs> in Web3 when things are decentralized, things can still happen when you're, when you're off the clock, so. There you go. And, and also, there's, there seems to be a, uh, more of an acceptance of working on multiple projects. And I don't know if that's a, acceptance makes it a good thing because then we're all just getting <laughs> more busy, but <laughs> let's take on more, why don't we? Um, so Jason, start us off. Uh, start us off with your, your web three, uh, origin story. Like how did you first get hooked? What, you know, is there, was there a moment, uh, did somebody tell you about it? Um, did some, did you read some article, you know, what was, uh, what was sort of the, um, the first step, uh, I guess, before you even went down the rabbit hole? Yeah. I mean, I've been light into crypto for, you know, the better part of a decade, um, really not heavy into the space. Um, but you know, I, I get paid to let people know what's coming next. So I research, I read, um, talk to smart people on a regular basis. So, you know, I've been paying attention to web three for a while, probably more seriously the last three years. And then I'd say in the last two years is when we started seeing it, seeing kind of, uh, interest from our existing legacy companies, customers. So mm -hmm. people that attend social fresh people that hire social fresh for uh, brand strategy and social strategy uh, support. Um, when we were surveying those audiences, when we were talking to those people, there was more and more interest into, uh, you know, DeFi NFTs and in general, just mm -hmm. web three blockchain technologies. I think when, NFT started to hit the radar more in 2021. We saw that ramp up to where more people were interested in that than they were in, you know, Clubhouse as, as a topic for mm -hmm. training. 
for instance, <laughs> at one point. Uh, so we, we knew we needed to start taking it more seriously. We started uh, getting contacted for work on the social side of Web3 and on the brand strategy side of Web3 from potential clients. And just, I'd say slowly over the last two years, almost all of our new business on the consultancy side has, has switched over to Web3 work, whether that's Web2 companies coming into Web3 or Web3 brands needing more traditional uh, strategy support. And, you know, I got to the point at one point we knew we needed to just dive deeper and we did a conference called NFT Fresh that was in 2021. And we uh, really were trying to figure out where we could most help brands, what we didn't know about the space. Um, and that was a huge success. It was virtual conference, but, uh, you know, we had Cool Cats there, we had Pussy Riot, we had uh, a lot of Web3 brands attend. And um, just a great discussion all across the industry, not just NFTs, we talked about DAOs, we talked about DeFi. And uh, from there, we've really zeroed in on NFT projects and kind of Web3 community projects uh, mm -hmm. and and broad strategy. And, and since then, we've, you know, I'd say 50% of my time is Web3 work and 50% is still the legacy business mm -hmm. of Social Fresh. But that's starting to transition I'd say the majority after our conference next month, the majority of my work will, will definitely be in Web3. When you had all these questions kind of asking about how to use NFTs or by then at that point, it probably wasn't really Web3. I think that kind of just came around over the last year. Uh, but what were the things that these brands or these companies were asking? Like they were looking for help. Is it that they wanted to launch an NFT? Is it that they were just trying to figure out how to use this space or like what, what sort of themes were you seeing with these questions? I think early on, you know, back almost two years now, it's 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 just more about understanding the space and the potential of the space. Like, how is this going to impact our business? Will it impact our business? How soon? Um, do brands need to start, you know, hiring people in the space, start building strategy in the space? And then uh, coming up to today, we've transitioned. I think most brands have looked at NFTs, kind of launching some type of NFT project as as a way to get their foot in the door. And then uh, more recently, uh, maybe like a metaverse play, which we advise against. I'm, I don't think that's the right play for most brands, um, hmm. but that's interesting. I think that's interesting to a lot of brands because uh, there's a little bit of backlash with NFT plays from brands and there's less so in metaverse uh, campaigns. Um, and I'd say that now we're starting to see a lot more brands be open to not just launching NFT, but launching some type of Web3 community, Discord, mm. tokens, you know, hiring community managers, hiring strategy for, for that uh, longer term uh, kind of customer community space. Uh, so that's really interesting. I want to hear, I want to dive super deep into, you know, <laughs> the Web3 stuff and, you know, NFTs and, and all that that you're talking about with brands. But first, wh why do you say no to Metaverse? What's the reason of, of why you're kind of saying hold off right now? People don't spend time in the metaverse. Like if you look at the numbers, if you look at the, the actual metrics that brands are traditionally going after, which is brands want exposure, they want awareness, they want to build deeper connections with customers and potential customers. And right now the metaverse, you know, there's some gaming um, spaces that people do spend a little bit of time on. The whole VR play, no one spends time in VR. Like they mm -hmm. put a headset on for a half hour, maybe an hour at most. And they do that like at max once a week. I mean, there's a few exceptions to that, but the average person, I think the average person that owns VR goggles uses them once or twice a month. So it's not 
a place where you're actually getting good quality of return for your investment for your marketing dollars. I, that may change over time, but I think that's like three to 10 years that changes. I don't think it's next year. Um, there are other kind of desktop um, metaverse plays right now, but the experiences that are happening there are just not super engaging in my opinion. And most brand metaverse campaigns are, hey, come walk around the space I built for five minutes and that's it. Right. Or, hey, put this outfit on that we designed and then some, they never do it again, right? So like, I mean, I think there are some opportunities to experiment. I just, you know, if, and, and you know, really what they're after right now are just some type of PR splash. We're the first to do this metaverse thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine. PR is important. Um, being innovative and having those stories is important. I just am very clear with people. If you're, if you're really investing in Web3, uh, a metaverse campaign, um, short-term campaign is not really a long-term investment. If you're looking to experiment in a lot of different ways, that's totally fine. We can help brands do that. We've got lots of interesting ideas that are more interesting than what's out there right now that we're working with people on. But um, in general, I think it's not the right kind of first mover opportunity for most brands. Mm -hmm. and, and I assume that by desktop versus you're talking about like decentralized, Decentraland and, and uh, crypto voxels and all those kind of things. The only, and I, I'm in the same mindset as like, there's not a lot of people in there. The experience is is just not great yet. It has some promise eventually, but it's definitely not there. The only thing that I saw that was kind of cool was last year when I think it was in Decentraland, they had, a, I think Kraken put it on, but it was like a, a festival and they had like Paris Hilton and a few others that were, uh, were doing a concert there. And that was actually kind of cool. There was a decent amount of people that went in and there was some brands that had like, you know, avatar clothings and things. And I was like, oh, this is like kind of cool. I like, I sort of saw where it's going, but I was like, wow, this is way too far out to, for that to make any sense. <laughs> yeah. The technology is just not there yet. I mean, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's getting there slowly. Um, but you know, that's been, you can say that for the last 20 years. So it's, it's, you yeah. know, there's, it's not dissimilar from what existed 20 years ago. I mean, there's a lot mm -hmm. of great advances, but, uh, I see the vision too. I think I, you know, long-term I'm bullish, but uh, today a brand talks to us and I'm very honest that I don't think that's the right place to put your major bet in the space. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, many, many people, sorry, Jay, I'll, I'll let you go right after this one, but many people would say that Web3 in general is just not ready yet for mainstream, right? Like the tech is just not quite there, even like NFTs and things like that. Um, so with, with that in mind, like, where do you see um, the kind of first stages or like, where are you guiding brands and, and companies to um, kind of dive into the space? Is it like a lot of people I think see right now as well, we can launch an NFT and you can make some revenue. Um, but where are you seeing sort of the bigger long-term play from this? Like why should brands be already experimenting with NFTs? Even though like, there's not a lot of people that own NFTs. I think there's last I saw was like a few million. So it's still pretty small. Um, so where do you see is the like, is the benefit there? Yeah. I mean, today, uh, I think NFTs are the entry point for brands in, in multiple ways. Um, collaborations, uh, with artists launching their own collection, launching their own member token community of some sort. Um, and I think one of the, um, one of the things is, I mean, some industries, some brands are ready to go today. If you have IP, if you're a media brand, it makes a lot more sense for you to be there today. If you're in music, mm -hmm. if you're in entertainment, sports, et cetera, any type of media connection. Um, Time Magazine is out there doing stuff. Uh, 
any of these sports fashion brands, you know, Nike, Adidas, they're out there doing things, Playboy is out there. I, I think all of those make a lot of sense. Um, anybody else, you're really in just kind of a innovation R&D phase, you're learning. So launching some type of community, launching some type of NFT collection is great. You don't need to do much with it. You, it doesn't need to be fancy. A lot of the art has been, you know, some of it's terrible, some of it's okay. Um, and that's fine, honestly, because it's, you know, people are going to be interested because of the brand. And if there's utility attached to it or just some type of, you know, this is the first time Pepsi launched an NFT, like there's, there's reasons to be interested there just for that. And there's plenty to learn just on those kind of basic, uh, you know, launches, more or less. Um, I think if your company considers itself an innovative company, those are the companies we're talking to, both Web3 native brands and Web2 kind of innovative companies that are coming into Web3. Those are the brands that really are investing longer term and have a longer term strategy. They want to hire Web3 people. They want to hire community managers. They want to you know, building, even if they're experimenting, they want to build in steps with strategy and know what they're learning along the way. Uh, so it just depends on what type of brand you are and what you, how you consider yourself in that kind of puzzle I described. Um, I think everyone, every major brand should be looking at it. They should have people with dedicated time to invest in it, uh, to research, to learn at a minimum. So I want, I want to keep pulling on that thread of what should brands be doing and what what your advice would be to them. But before we do, one thing that we always try to focus on is the why Web3, right? Because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of negative uh, feelings towards particular towards NFTs as you identified. Uh, and, you know, when there's a new technology that comes out, a lot of people wonder like, is, is this a good thing? Like, why do we need this, right? Uh, and so I'm, I'm curious to hear you know, when you started to, when Social Fresh started to get more and more Web3 opportunities and you started to get involved in Web3, why? Why spend your time there? You know, I, I've even, I think you, I've heard you say that, you know, Web3 can be an incredible force for good, which we also really believe this is so much more than just speculation and, you know, dollar go up. Um, but curious to hear, to hear your why and what you, what you believe we're really building here and why it's important for, for the planet. Yeah, I mean, I, I related back to social media. So when social media started going mainstream in 2007, eight, nine, um, you know, it felt the same to me. A lot of people have shared this, uh, shared this impression. It felt the same to me as what you see with Web3 now, which is it's this underlying fundamental technology that is taking over the web. It's, it's not taking over everything, but it's a significant enough new layer to the internet that it allows for more of a global connection. It allows for more transparency. It allows for more um, uh, just kind of purpose-based organizations and people to do cool things, to build cool projects. I think that's true. When social launched, I think Web3 is taking that up a level because of the ownership layer. Um, Web3 specifically builds on that by uh, allowing for that ownership layer. So, you know, giving creators more power, um, taking away power from centralized organizations and gatekeepers uh, and uh, the de decentralization takes that global connection point and really amplifies it. So for instance, like in JumpDAO, which is a, a DAO that Jay mentioned that we're, we're both in, um, you know, I've worked with artists and community managers from 
uh, from Asia, from Latin America, from Colombia. A couple of our more active members are in Colombia, and you know, they're they're building stuff in these countries um, and working for DAOs where the amount of money they can make is you know 10x what you could make in those countries natively. Uh, but you can work from Web3 anywhere in the world. And many DAOs and many of these organizations do have global members and global um, kind of workers. And I just am, you know, I'm blown away by that. I've, I've worked with some people in, in Africa that have been building NFT collections in, in Cuba, where the, the kind of access to capital that they can get in Web3 just doesn't exist, hasn't existed before um, in any level. So, I, you know, there's a lot of, Web3 is not perfect. There's tons of negatives too. And we're going to see more and more of those, just like you didn't see the negatives of social media immediately. That's going to happen. But I also think Web3 has um, the potential infrastructure to fix the problems that will arise from Web3 more so than social does because it's decentralized. So people can literally wake up and decide they want to fix something and have an impact pretty quickly. I can't wake up tomorrow and, and change Twitter's algorithm or Facebook's feed, right? Um, <laughs> and, and how things are filtered there. But I could launch, you know, an open C competitor tomorrow. Like there's open source ways to do that. There's, um, there's people interested in that. There's tons of open data. Um, and just and the ethos is there to, to work on those types of problems. So I think you know, it just levels up the potential to to contribute, uh, you know, social good into the world. Uh, I love that. It's actually the same thing that, you know, I love Web3 for is the openness, the potential, the opportunity that comes from it for anyone in the world. Right. Um, and so to me, that's super exciting. However, for big brands, like let's say a meta, for example, uh, who, I mean, Instagram has just announced they are, you know, building on, on top of, uh, of Web3 and, and launching NFTs, which is super exciting. How do you think they're thinking through this? Like, the nice thing I saw with Instagram is like, they're not building their own blockchain and like creating their own NFTs. They're going to plug into the, the open uh, blockchains that we use, right? Which is great. Um, but like you said, is like, if you don't agree with something, you can't just change Twitter. But in this world, you can, which probably isn't the most ideal scenario for companies like Google and Facebook, et cetera. Um, so I don't know if you're having any conversations with companies of that, of that nature, but, um, what are just your thoughts on what they're thinking or, or where, how they, um, where they might take this and how they might integrate in with, with all of this? Yeah. I mean, I think the smart people in that space, um, are aware that they are likely going to be disrupted if they don't disrupt themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think. Zuckerberg is thinking that at Meta. I think Masseri is thinking that at Instagram. Um, the tech people and you know finance people that I've talked to are thinking through those steps. Um, and I think you're much more likely to see the merging of those worlds than you are to see kind of the demise of of Web two companies. Mm -hmm. uh, like the power that that Facebook has, the power that Instagram has, the power that a lot of these tech companies, Google, Microsoft, Amazon have is really hard to put a realistic picture. To, it's hard to paint that picture with people. So if you look at, there's 4,000 developers working on the Ethereum blockchain. <laughs> it's so small. Right? It's nothing. That's, it's, I mean, it's big in some ways, but it's small. I mean, you look at Facebook has literally 10,000 developers just working on VR, just VR today. 
right you know and they're and they're working full-time where like yeah. ethereum developers are you know they're web3 workers so are they full-time some of them probably most of them i think are probably working on multiple project projects and that's not a knock on ethereum but just to put in perspective the power of these platforms when they decide to to pivot like facebook is spending more money more man hours more human hours than anyone on the metaverse right now like mm -hmm. and probably by multiples um so I think what's going to happen is these companies are going to be forced to um, forced to blow up their own worlds a little bit in order to uh, stop the kind of intruder from coming outside the house. I think they have to make these changes. And I mean, I'm encouraged by some, some small things. I agree that Instagram building on existing blockchains, um, I think they're you know, the, the uh, founders of Polygon were on Bankless last week talking about how um, they see Facebook basically launching their own uh, layer three chain, whether it's on Polygon or somewhere else, it's just dedicated to them because there's literally not a chain today. Like if everybody on Instagram started using Polygon, mm -hmm. it's not big enough. It wouldn't, nothing, nothing is big enough today to, to take that kind of traffic and activity. Um, so I think those are the types of merging that I'm talking about, like Facebook working with Polygon and starting something mm -hmm. new together. Um, I think that's the most likely outcome, but it's going to be influenced by uh, web three, um, kind of belief systems, which I think is important. Um, even, even if you look at like the little detail of Instagram launching NFTs, um, the little verified badge is a hexagon. It's a rounded hexagon or rexagon, which is the exact shape that Twitter uses for NFT avatars. Right. And mm -hmm. that's, there's no accident, like that's matched exactly. And it's an interoperable, it's a small interoperable symbol, just like you know, mm -hmm. a hashtag started on Twitter and now all social platforms use it. So does that mean that Facebook's metaverse is gonna be open and, and kind of uh, interoperable? Operable? We still don't know yet, but mm -hmm. I think we'll start to see small signs like that that are, that are positive. And if they do it poorly, somebody will come along and they will disrupt them. So I think most of these companies are not gonna be disrupted in the way that we would hope or we think that might happen, but there will be a couple of situations where that does happen. Yeah, we'll see if they we'll see if they play nice. I mean, one example is Robinhood over the last weekend at permissionless conference announced that they're launching a web three wallet, yeah. basically like a non custodial wallet. So they're basically disrupting their own current business, which is a custodial exchange. Um, so that's really interesting. I think that's hopefully the way that most of these tech and I want to say banking infrastructure and, and companies go. I don't think the banking system is going to do that. We'll see. I think they're too far gone. Um, but so I wouldn't, at I wouldn't put it past the banking. I mean, we work with a lot of finance, a lot of fintech, and I think mm. one or two of them will make that leap. I think they will yeah. make the same kind of Robin Hood disruption. Yeah. Right. Okay. Remember, there's okay. too much, there's too much competition in that space already right now. Mm -hmm. Like it's right. fintech and traditional banking is just hugely competitive. Um, so I mean, someone could easily make that leap and, and not have much to lose. And it seems obvious, but I don't know. They just, We'll see who, who does it, but it seems obvious to me anyway. Uh, but speaking of that, can you sort of make the business case for something like Instagram, uh, like Meta and any of these big tech companies? Like, why should they plug into these existing blockchains rather than like, like you said, they have more developers in the entire space, all working just on VR. Why don't they just build their own thing, right? Like, why do they need to plug into this? Um, and is it just because, like you said, they're going to be disrupted, so they kind of have to? Or is it because what we're building actually will be better. Like they'll be better off by plugging into it because they'll be able to, I don't know, reach their customers better or provide better yeah. experiences. So like, what is the business case here for them? 
Well, I think, I mean, we're, we're headed for a multi-chain world. I think we're already in a multi-chain world, even if it's mm -hmm. all EBM. Um, the, uh, the business case is that you open up a network effect, like plugging into Ethereum, plugging into Solana, plugging into Polygon. Uh, those are early, small communities, but not insignificant numbers. And the amount of, uh, the amount of capital that's moving through these networks is really significant. So I think if you want to be in Web three and you want to, uh, you want to attract uh, the the native Web three users today, you have to connect to those networks uh, because building your own blockchain and hoping to bring in the Web three community is a huge challenge. It's, you know, and the longer you wait, the bigger the challenge that will. The bigger EVM gets, the bigger Ethereum, Polygon, Solana gets. Um, it's going to be a struggle. So unless you are pursuing a blockchain as a business model purely, if you're starting the next Solana, if you have, you know, some type of technology play that makes a better blockchain, that's one thing, but I think that's a whole, whole different conversation. I, I do think you will see, and especially after hearing Polygon's co-founders talk about this, they're, they're, they're literally launching or have launched a blockchain as a service, uh, kind mm. of, um, mm -hmm. Even if they're not doing it, they're connecting brands to the to the vendors that will do it for them on Polygon, and you know you're outsourcing the security, you're outsourcing uh, the technical build, um, the upkeep, and I think that's honestly I think that's going to be the future for a lot of businesses. You think of mm -hmm. somebody like Stripe or or you know Instagram or Amazon, um, they may interact with Ethereum and Solana and Polygon. But they also might need their own chain for like backend transactions or confirmations or rolling up some of these models just to increase speed and volume enough to be able to handle the scale of these businesses. So I think we'll see a lot of kind of infrastructure, um, customized infrastructure that's still transparent, still interoperable, but custom to some of these unique platform situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, do you, I agree actually completely. I think a lot of these companies are going to build their own rollups on top of, you know, whatever Ethereum or Polygon or wherever they decide to do these, these rollups, because it's not easy to build a blockchain that is sustainable, right? That, this is why the researchers of Ethereum and of Bitcoin and all these other blockchains, like it's very, very hard. <laughs> so it makes no sense to yeah. kind of go and try to compete with that. Um, one of the interesting things I saw recently was OpenSea, I don't know if you saw us, is launching or maybe did launch already. I think it's called Seaport, which is basically yeah. turning their marketplace, well, not their marketplace, but creating a new one that is a marketplace that is like a protocol. It is not a, it's no longer like a, de, a centralized um, product. It is now like a decentralized protocol that people can build on top of, et cetera. Um, do you think that these bigger tech companies will start to do things like that or will they just build their centralized companies and plug into um, plug into Web3? Yeah, I think it's very clever because we're already in kind of a decentralized, you know, looks rare, did an outside attack on OpenSea and, and you know, because all that data is out there and it's, it's free to access. Um, so I think, you know, what OpenSea is doing with this protocol is, is interesting. It's basically saying, hey, here's a protocol everyone can use and it benefits you because you can, you know, see what we've built and use some of the uh, innovations we've made. But it also OpenSea because anybody that uses that protocol automatically, you know, is interoperable with OpenSea. So they they're essentially saying we have a first mover advantage. We feel like our our product is high enough quality that we can protect that, 
as long as we're interoperable with, with everyone else. So if you have a choice of 10 marketplaces and they're all pretty much on the same protocol, OpenSea feels like they can be the best solution. So it's a it's an interesting direction. At the same time, the you know the rumor is that OpenSea is going to become going to go the public route and become a public company. Um, I don't know how that jives necessarily. I mean, I think they could do both clearly, but it's you know when you become a public company, then your interests change slightly, right? You're you're you have a different um, a different investor type that you have to please uh, with public investors. So I, I think it's a smart move. I would love to see that happen with Facebook. Um, I've seen pluses and negatives in what Facebook has done so far in the very early days of what they're building. Um, I think no matter what happens, like Facebook is trying to, Facebook is trying to get out of the ad industry or at least trying to diversify their revenue away from ad dollars exclusively. Um, and with a metaverse, what's the way they're doing that? They're basically becoming a fintech. They're gonna take a cut just like OpenSea does. OpenSea is a, is a fintech company, right? They, mm -hmm. they are a processor. They take a cut of transactions. Um, and I think that's what Facebook is gonna do. And if they really want to make the most money, they will make an interoperable world when anybody can come in and build their own metaverse and they take a cut of the transactions. The problem is they have to take a very small cut for that to be interesting to the most people. Um, so if they go big and let everybody be interoperable and really do like Web3 properly uh, and decentralized, that could be a great business model. And it would be kind of a protocol, would be a metaverse protocol. Um, so if I was them, that that's what I would be doing. And I, you know, there's hints of that in what Zuckerberg talks about, but there's other things, you know, they came out with like, if you're building NFTs for their metaverse, they're gonna take like 51% or whatever that story yeah. was. And that, yeah. I thought that that would quickly become something that they would say, no, we're not going to take that much. That was a, you know, that was a typo or a mistake or something. And it, I never <laughs> saw, never I never saw a retraction for that. No. So yeah. that confuses me because that doesn't sound like what I think they should be building. Um, but who knows? I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're thinking on the back of their napkin, but um, I, that's kind of how I see what it, what it would be like if I was advising them. I would assume that they are smarter than to do that. But I guess you don't really know. Like, if they did do that, yeah. here's the thing: I feel like they could launch a metaverse and charge this fifty percent, and I bet you it works short term. Yeah, because they're going to build a way better experience in UX than anyone else, especially those in Web three are doing. So, like, I bet you it works, but it definitely doesn't work long term because eventually, when the decentralized the protocols actually build something of good UX, like where it's much, much, much cheaper and interoperable, yeah. then everyone's going to go there eventually. But we'll see how that plays out. It'll be interesting. I don't know. That's I'm. I have no idea what's going to happen, but it, it should be fun to watch. All right, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the projects you you are involved with, Jason. Uh, and where I kind of want to go is, a lot of our listeners are interested in getting involved in Web three projects, uh, whether they they're trying to get a job in the space or they're interested in and joining a DAO. Um, and I, I'd, I'd sort of like to hear, first let's hear about your projects, but then let's let's talk about how you think people can pick projects, what they should be looking out for, sort of this sustainability versus speculation that we see a lot of happening in the space. Um, but first, first tell us a little bit about the projects that you're involved with. Let's start with that. 
Yeah, the two main, um, I mean, so I am an artist and I do NFT art. So I've done NFT art for a couple of our clients and I'm working my own NFT art. So that's something that I, I'm always working on in the background. I'm very passionate about and I um, finally have an excuse to use my art degree again, which is which has been nice. Mm -hmm. um, and it's my favorite kind of work. Uh, but the two pure kind of Web3 projects that I'm working on outside of JumpDAO, um, which I'm in the leadership of, is Social Fresh DAO um, and uh, Remit DAO. So Social Fresh DAO is basically us taking our Web2 legacy company, Social Fresh, and the audience it serves is social media managers, community managers, essentially the professionals that run social and community accounts. Um, and trying to build almost a pseudo online union for, for those people based on Web3 um, belief systems. So it's decentralized. We have a token, the SoFresh token. Um, we want to work on big projects like mental health research. Uh, social media community managers have some of the most stressful jobs. It's literally like right behind firefighters, which hmm. is, you know, which doesn't make any sense. We're not saving lives in social media, but it's just always on mm -hmm. low pay, um, low respect gigs and always getting kind of trounced with troll comments and terrible DMs, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. right? So, you know, working on some of these things to improve the industry like a union would um, to create um, expectations for hiring, for job descriptions, for compensation, um, and then diving deep into that mental health side. So. Uh, for instance, it's very early, we're building kind of the foundation of it, but an example project that we're working on is to do an early test of how, how much can teletherapy help people's kind of anxiety, stress, depression that are in this space. So we, we're going to do like a 15 to 30 person test uh, that we're looking for some partners on to, to underwrite of, you know, research and survey people anonymously before they do the therapy, do three months of teletherapy research after and see mm -hmm. like, what is the actual effect? Is this something that's a sustainable solution to help people in this industry? Um, and yeah, it's, you know, if you work in social, if you work in community, we're trying to onboard that space into web three. I think there's going to be a lot of jobs in that space. If you look at web three job boards, it's literally like developers are number one, community managers are number two. That's those are yep. the things that people need the most. And yep. I think a lot of social community professionals will, will have higher paying gigs in this space. So that's also kind of a piece of what we're building there. Um, so yeah, if you work in social community, check out Social Fresh DAO. Um, check out our Twitter account. There's like an application right now, but eventually there'll be completely open Discord as and we we'll put the, to build out the framework we'll put We'll put the links to that in the show notes so you can just scroll down and you'll, you'll be able to find it there. I'm curious. I mean, first, it sounds amazing. Uh, why, DAO, why a DAO instead of like the typical LLC? Like what was the, what's the benefit or the, you know, um, the reason that you would go the DAO route instead of the, the old school route? Yeah, I mean, well, we already have the LLC and it's, you know, literally our conference and our consultancy and that's going to stay where it is. I mean, ultimately, maybe there's collaboration there. Um, but uh we wanted to do a DAO, number one, because we wanted it to be um, a scalable version of, of working on the projects we've always wanted to work on as a small company, but never had the bandwidth to do. Um, so I've wanted to do like these, these mental health research reports for almost a decade now. And I just to do it correctly and do it the way I want to, you know, it's just, it's not revenue producing. It's just kind of a pure social good. Um, and our business is small enough that I, you know, I can't commit hours to things that are just not going to improve the business. Um, so 
that's a piece of it. And to do some of these projects correctly, you really need a large community scale to support them. And that's what a DAO does. It's, it's, it's intrinsically self-motivated uh, through ownership layers, through shared vision. Um, and because I want social media and community professionals to be able to come in and build a DAO and have that Web3 experience, I think that's going to be a huge education mm -hmm. for the people that are already signed up. And I mean, we're already just a decentralization piece is, is, you know, allows you to take ideas from so many people in a quick way. So like when I started this, I mean, we've been working on it for a few months, just slowly as we, once we get past the conference, we'll work on it a little more, but uh, we've already got a podcast, like the first episode of a podcast we're launching on Web3 and social. I didn't come up with that. That wasn't in my original roadmap. That was mm -hmm. people that came in and, and on day one wanted to do that together. Um, the job board that we've relaunched for Web3 uh, social jobs is something that one of our kind of more active early members wanted to work on and I think has come out really well and has already helped people find jobs in the space. So like that, those are examples of what a DAO can do that an LLC really can't do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is super interesting to bring just so many people together and then these experts in all these different areas and everyone just kind of runs with it, which is really cool. One of the things that I always try to wrap my head around when I'm in a, when I'm in a DAO or learning about DAOs is like you said this, the things you wanted to do in the DAO are not necessarily revenue generating, but the kind of cool thing is, is DAOs seem to have different incentive mechanisms how, how does this DAO incentivize people? Like, I know you have a token, so I guess that's probably where the incentives come from. Um, but like, is there utility to that token or is the plan to, and maybe the job board is one of the ways like to generate revenue so that this token can hold value or like, how do you see this DAO like actually making sense long-term um, rather than just a bunch of people kind of starting out, getting some things rolling and then it sort of fades. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to build a DAO. You can do investment DAOs where there's intrinsically just a financial interest. You can do um, larger social DAOs like uh, Friends with Benefits where there's a pretty significant financial layer. Um, I, I think, you know, what we've chosen to do is every DAO does need a revenue model and we have revenue plans. The job board is part of that. Um, uh, but I think the larger piece of it is just building something where the community is involved because it helps the community. Um, that's not a Web3 thing. That's just uh, great communities exist that way. And that in and of itself will give the, the DAO, Social Fresh DAO enough kind of power, authority, influence that it can make, it can make some significant revenue gains uh, by using that force. So if you you know, if we institute, for instance, I, I've never talked about this. It's just an idea that enters my head right now. But if we wanted to, we could create kind of standards in the industry. So if you're hiring a community manager, hiring a social media manager, the standards for social fresh down members are that you do job descriptions a certain way, that compensation is thought of a certain way, that whatever X, Y, Z. And companies can start to get flagged when they're not doing that. Hey, this job description doesn't really assign to this you know, set of rules that we think uh, you should look at. Um, and companies will start to pay attention to that. Maybe they pay the DAO to consult on helping them hire, on helping them create the right job descriptions, on helping them you know, improve their process. Um, that's an example of how the community itself can become a revenue generating force mm -hmm. just because of its influence. Um, and, you know, I think there's other products. There's a lot of different products we've talked about and it's very early. I, I want the community to kind of determine that on its own. Um, but yeah, it also, when you're, when the, when you're there because the community is helping the community members, there's less of a, you know, requirement that it be revenue producing. But I think 
uh, any any DAO, any ownership layer based organization should have a, a revenue plan and be looking at that direction. Mm -hmm. And how do you think DAOs the so many of the struggles that we've heard with DAOs is you know the coordination right and the ability to to achieve traction when you have so many people working in undetermined amount of time on something. How, how have you sort of battled those challenges of traction, accountability, coordination across multiple people? Um, is it the size of the DAOs that you're involved in that allows that because they're just smaller and so smaller teams are just easier to manage? Uh, or is there other sort of tactics that you guys have used? I mean, it is chaos uh, to a certain extent, control <laughs> chaos for sure. Um, I think the DAOs that do a best job have very clearly defined structures and plug and play opportunities for people to jump in. So making, you know, repeatable task in the DAO, something that people can learn how to do, can understand our opportunities that they can join and, and volunteer for, things like that. Um, having training for those specific roles, mm -hmm. um, having clear easier onboarding solutions so people know what the DAO does, where it needs help, et cetera. Um, cultivating the right culture inside of a DAO, I think is very important. That's mm -hmm. a direct uh, reflection of the founders, leaders, kind of um, loudest voices in the DAO um, for better or worse. And I think in general, uh, having a ownership layer early that gives people a sense of value. It doesn't necessarily have to be my NFT for this DAO is worth $10,000, but it's worth something. I earned it or I bought it um, and mm -hmm. I know I could sell it or you know, it's one of the first NFTs I got because this was one of the first DAOs I participated in. Like Having those ownership layer pieces are pretty important. Even just, I designed the newsletter for the DAO and I got a hundred tokens for it, you know, those things. Mm -hmm. um, are significant experiences, even if that token is not liquid and there's no, it's not technically worth anything today, just receiving that, um, especially if you're new to this to the Web3 space, is a significant experience and a significant, a, a new way to think about per participating in an organization. And I think those can help people um, have that intrinsic motivation. Do you find that um, brands you're speaking to are thinking about launching DAOs. Like, like you said, you're like, you know, we have our LLC, Social Fresh, and it's doing its thing, but we don't have the bandwidth, right? The scale to do the other things we want. Um, is this yeah. a common thread at all or a common theme you're seeing with other brands or is it more sticking to NFTs uh, and, and kind of that route for now? I think the ones that are innovative brands are thinking about it. I've, I've definitely talked to multiple brands about it. Some of them, they know it's not a fit. Some are more kind of innovative technology companies that are looking at it, looking at ways to test it, experiment with it. Um, but yeah, I think most brands are hesitant to go fully into kind of a DAO yeah. direction. Right. So when you speak to a brand, I'm sure it's all one-off and very customizable because um, it depends on the brand and what they're doing. But do you have some sort of loose like framework? Like, I don't know, start with just building a community inside of a Discord. Uh, and then it's like, I don't know, launch a PO app or something just to get people so they have wallets and can interact with NFTs and then something from there. Like, is there a bit of a framework you take people or brands and companies through? Or what are your, um, how do you see that? 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's honestly some of the boring stuff that comes first. There's some research into their audience, um, some conversations around, you know, if you launch an NFT and there's backlash because people see NFTs as bad for the environment, are you prepared for that conversation, for that backlash? Mm -hmm. um, can you ignore it? Uh, has your organization established, you know, environmentally sound kind of uh, policies internally when it comes to other technology that you can apply to the space? Mm -hmm. um, do you have a lot of developers that work for your company? Do you have a uh, connection to the gaming industry? Because those are the two audiences that are going to be uh, most uh, opinionated about NFTs uh, being involved in a brand. So some of those conversations are the most important to have early. Um, and then if they're truly committed to, you know, the R&D level of innovation, testing, learning, um, then it's, you know, what is the best kind of section of their audience, um, community, customer base, or employee base that we can uh, experiment with, talk to, and figure out some clear kind of KPIs that will help them learn and help them understand how these technologies can impact their business and help maybe their marketing, their loyalty, um, some existing, you know, uh, some existing channel of, or metrics that they're already working on that it could potentially plug into. Um, I, I always love to ask this question on podcasts and some people are really good at this, some not so much. Uh, I like to like look into the future and try to pick people's brains and see like, where do they see this whole space going? And I know that is impossible to predict, but I'm just curious when you think about, you know, I don't know, three, five, whatever, whatever time frame is what you think about, but where do you see this all going in terms of like how businesses interact with this stuff and interact with their customers? And um, like, is there a place that you see this going and you can see it clearly? Or is it like, I have no idea. We're just like, let's figure out how to get this technology right first and go from there. Um, anything that comes to mind when I ask that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things, we have a lot of these conversations and jump on a regular basis, but I think right. any, any large brand, um, especially if they're a luxury brand, especially if they're a technology brand, will be accepting crypto as payment in the next couple of years. Uh, we're seeing that shift happen on a regular basis right, right now. Um, I think you'll start to see more employees paid in crypto. That's a little bit harder, uh, but Stripe, I think, will become important to that uh, piece of it or some similar existing Web2 brand that'll, that'll allow that to be an easier plug and play. Um, I think every brand should be looking at, um, you know, where the blockchain is going to disrupt them, where someone can come in and do what they're doing better because of the blockchain. And they should be experimenting with that now. I think, uh, I think where social media took us is going to be pretty similar in an, in an adoption curve for social, I mean, for web three. So social were about almost 15 years into the adoption curve, maybe a little more. Um, and it probably took seven, eight years for it to really um, start to be a significant mainstream technology. And today, let's call it 15 years in, um, it's the most common, it's the thing that we spend the most time on, on the web, right? Social media, social networks are where we spend a lot of time, are where our friendships exist online. Our work environment is increasingly in, in social, scenario, uh, social platforms online. I think that's where Web3 goes. I think we're technically probably 
two or three years into like a proper web three, even though crypto and blockchain is, is much older. Um, and I think, you know, we're probably five to 10 years away from kind of full mainstream adoption. Mm-hmm. But I think you're going to see very influential pockets of consumers adopting these, uh, adopting these technologies pretty quickly over the next few years. And I think that is going to create a lot of, for me, like web three doesn't exist without a social layer. And I, I talk about Web3 and social almost hand in hand. It's, it's very connected. You know, NFTs are essentially a social layer within Web3. Um, any token is, uh, blockchains are essentially um, a social layer. Even, even more than that, they're technology and humans interacting on a regular basis. And I think the automation of that, the decentralization of that is going to change things in significant ways. I think the banking industry is going to be completely disrupted. Um, I think social media is going to be very disrupted. And I think it's going to create a lot of challenges, uh, especially in politics. I mean, political DAOs, we've seen one significant political DAO launch already with Andrew Mm -hmm. Yang. I think we'll see a lot more over the next couple of years leading into two big election seasons in the US. I think there'll be a lot of negatives amongst that, but I think there'll be a lot of positive shifts as well where people can actually do things like what the Constitution DAO did, uh, but for less maybe frivolous, uh, uh, kind of uh, with more purpose and more uh, real world effect, hopefully. <laughs> Other than just buying the constitution, because why not? I mean, and that's cool and that. it's fun, it's but cool. it doesn't really change anybody's life, right? Um, and yeah. I think we can do big experiments like that uh, with some larger, there's a, there's a cool DAO that's doing some significant work on buying up enough of the rainforest in South America and Brazil to have like a large impact on the rainforest not completely disappearing from the world so like things like that i'm i'm fascinated by very cool very cool i want to pull on one thread there uh was the social media disruption would love to get your take on how what what do you how do you think web3 will disrupt social media we're chatting with lens protocol right now uh and having them come on the podcast and we'll be chatting more and more about that uh in the next couple weeks uh we're also having disco um dot xyz come on the podcast talk about digital identity uh so so much happening in that space but just would be curious to to hear your take yeah i mean i see um the decentralization of social is, is, is inevitable, really. And whether that's Facebook and Twitter um, opening up, um, you know, some, some major existing social platform is going to open up and be owned by the users. And if they don't, a, a new social platform is going to come along that is owned by the users. Um, I, I think this, this uh, you know, storyline of Elon trying to buy Twitter and whether that happens or not. One of the things that that's exposed is that Twitter and some social networks are a tough business. Like Twitter doesn't make enough money really for mm-hmm. anybody to, to spend a ton of money on them um, as an ad business. Like Facebook is scaled enough to where they've made that work. Uh, but for a lot of them, it's not really a great business model. Um, so it makes a lot more sense for those platforms as a public good to be owned by the users and to have you know f- impact by those users. I think you know we spoke to we spoke about this previously, but there's hard decisions that get made on these platforms, and I think they become more interesting and more customized when this platform is decentralized. And you know, you or I and other people can make decisions about what they see in 
their feed, what type of content um, gets sent to them and shared with them on a regular basis, how that makes them feel on a regular basis, who, who can contact them, who can respond to them. Like some of those features have improved over the last five years mm-hmm. on these platforms, but uh, there's a lot further it could go. And I think if one of these companies doesn't do it themselves, uh, one of the you know 30 different decentralized Web3 social platforms that are being built right now will. Well, even Coinbase is heading that way, right? Like starting social with their marketplace. And yeah. uh, it's not decentralized yet, but they're, they're, they're going that route. They said anyway, uh, any predictions? Just uh, last question, any predictions on who you think will will tokenize first? Is it Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, uh, YouTube? I mean, Twitter is the, Twitter is the perfect candidate. Right. Um, yeah. They have been in crisis for like a decade of not really making enough money. And yet the power of the platform reaches around the world. It's it's more media, uh, more media kind of power is on Twitter than any other social network in the world. It has the same awareness as Facebook, even though it's like a 10th of the size globally. Um, so I, you know, it's just, it literally is a kind of town square, even though it's privately owned by um, stockholders today. And I think, Long-term, I would just literally launch a token based on past contributions to the platform and turn it into some type of probably dual token owned Web3 DAO of some sort. Like it's, I, there's there's a lot of problems to figure out for that to work on such a scale of a platform like this. But um, I think there's a lot of people that would commit significant time to making that work. When that happens, I think the world is a very different place at that moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a big, that's a big, you know, jump for that to happen, but mm-hmm. I think it, I think it could. All right. Before, uh, before we wrap up, I want to talk about Remint DAO uh, because I just love this project. I've got the website up here. So I'm just going to queue you up here, Jason. Sure. Uh, tagline, resurrecting NFT collections. Our goal is to give new life to undervalued yet deserving NFT collections through buying, promoting, and general project support. Where did where did this idea come from? Why why start this? What are you what are you planning? What are you hoping for? Tell us about Remit. Yeah, I mean, I literally just tweeted maybe two months ago the general idea of this, and I got so many DMs. I probably got more DMs from this than any other tweet I sent out. People just really connected with the idea. Um, so I launched 100 NFTs. I think we've sold 20, 21 of them. Um, launched them just a few weeks ago. And we've had our first meeting last week. I actually was barely on the first meeting because I was flying to London. Um, but we have enough kind of interested, cool people in the group. I mean, there's some really interesting people that have already bought in. Um, some of them, like there's a couple of whales that have bought in. There's a couple of people that are just highly connected in the space. A lot of DAO folks, um, a lot of marketers, that are interested in this. I think marketers have a connection to this because they love kind of the idea of reinvigorating a brand, mm-hmm. but there's just so much noise out there in the NFT space. There's collections launching every day, multiple collections a day, and there's just too much noise for every great project to get the uh, spotlight that they deserve. So our, um, our group is passionate NFT collectors that want to find under uh, performing NFT collections that we can revive. And that will be through purchasing, mostly individual purchasing. The, the, 
the DAO wallet itself will buy a few for each one. Um, and uh, also we want to, you know, do marketing support, do Twitter spaces, change their PFPs. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to, we're going to publish a uh, thesis for every collection that we target. And we're probably going to target a collection pretty soon, like before we even sell the first hundred NFTs. Um, but it's a small test. We've had a lot of fun with the discussion so far, talking about which collections we're going to target. And it's just a cool little fun native project that, I, that uh, I've enjoyed, um, kind of the, the organic nature of it so far. It's been really fun to work on. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think it's fascinating. And so what, what makes you think that there are projects that are under minted out there? <laughs> like is, is, is uh, my, I think the natural thing to say would be, well, it was under minted because it wasn't that good or it didn't have something was missing. I think there's and... a, yeah. I mean, I think what's missing is a lot of people launch an NFT collection and then they don't have the kind of marketing mm -hmm. um, perspective or the time to spend to get out there and promote it the way that it deserves. Yeah. I know I've I've bought into several kind of underperforming collections. And I think I think one of the reasons people are so excited about this, the people that are joining, um, and people get really excited about it is because everyone relates to the, the storyline of I've bought into an NFT collection that did underperform and I feel like it has a lot of potential. Um, and then all of us kind of comparing notes on why we all think that. Do we think about the same collections? Do we do we have different assumptions from each other? Um, and spoiler alert, we do all have different assumptions. And um, you know, and it, there is a question. The question is: Is can you revive an old collection? I think there's some examples out there of that happening, especially kind of historic collections. Um, but I mean, this is an experiment. We may get into this and learn that it is very, very hard to relaunch uh, a collection. Um, I'm under the opinion that we can learn pretty quick, probably over the course of, a, of six months to a year, what it would take to revive a collection. And I think there's some fundamental things that would do that. Because essentially every NFT collection that does really well, it's just momentum, FOMO, like mm -hmm. getting into the zeitgeist and that attention spotlight. And I think the resources of this group already are significant in those directions, so. I'm looking forward to seeing what we, what we choose first. Well, it's about creating a, a narrative as well, right? Like, I, like CryptoPunks, I wouldn't say that they were revived because I, they started off free, I guess, to mint, um, but they didn't go anywhere for a really long time. And all of a sudden there was a narrative like, oh, this was the first one and boom, like now everyone knows yeah. CryptoPunk, right? So it's, it's, it's definitely possible if you can find the right, and, and that's really marketing, right? It comes down to finding that narrative and, and getting people getting people excited about it, right? Yeah. And there's just so much great art. I mean, as an artist, um, there's just so much great art out there that, mm -hmm. in my opinion, could do a lot better and could be introduced to people at a much larger scale than it was. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I completely agree. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's, we like to wrap up with a little bit of a speed round, Jason. So just do some rapid fire questions at you. Um, you ready to go? Let's get it. I am. Let's do it. Okay. So let's start off with favorite person to follow on Twitter. We just talked about Twitter. Ooh, favorite single person to follow on Twitter. Or company, um, I guess. Yeah, could be. Twitter account in general. Um, the state of New Jersey is a pretty good account to follow. Uh, okay. They're very, yeah, they're very kind of, Stakem used to be my number one, but the person that wrote the tweets for Stakem, Nathan Albach, uh, is no longer writing those tweets. 
So I will say the state of New Jersey. I think they do a really good job trolling other states. <laughs> I was gonna say, what is the state of New Jersey? I've never like you just they, you they just make won fun the podcast of, with that answer. <laughs> they make fun of like Delaware a lot. They um, <laughs> they did yeah, like an amazing. emoji map of the state once and no like talking about bagels and and pizza <laughs> in New Jersey and the shore. And, I don't know. It's just very true to the state, and they've done a pretty good job. <laughs> obviously following them right now as we speak that sounds yeah. amazing so basically the state of new jersey is just a troll account from other states yeah. sounds, sounds fantastic okay um other than your own projects uh another project could be an nft could be a dao uh could be a protocol any other web3 project that uh has sort of caught your attention recently that you're excited about um I will give a shout out to Crypto Mori's. I'm not an owner, but I'm thinking about getting one. Um, it's kind of like skull art uh, collection. Um, they are embarking on a utility for their members where they're giving to you know, connect to our social Project out project. They're giving free teletherapy to any of their holders. Um, mm-hmm. And they've, uh, they've partnered with a vendor that does this for like corporations that want to provide therapy and other kind of health resources for their employees. Um, so I'm watching that a little closely and really curious to see how that pans out for them and, and kind of the economics of that um, benefit that they're offering. I think they seem to be a pretty positive community and I, I've heard good good vibes from people that are uh, holders of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, we'll definitely include links to all these in the show notes as well. Um, favorite or funniest token name? favorite or funniest token name um you know there was a gm token and there's been several but there was one that caught like a little bit of uh of a high for maybe like a couple weeks last year and i just i loved the idea of there being a gm token and there was no utility to it whatsoever so that was cool (laughs) sounds like we were in the middle of a bull run if that's happening (laughs) random token i just liked i just liked i just liked being able to write like dollar sign gm yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was funny. I love it. Awesome. Um, want to give you a chance to uh, tell tell our listeners where they can find you. Uh, I know you've got the Social Fresh Conference coming up in uh, just less than a month. Uh, we'll include obviously all the links to you in the show notes. But um, where can people find you uh, if they want to reach out? How can they join your various projects? Yeah, uh, Twitter is the best place to find me at Jason Keith K E A T H. Um, remitdao.com for remitdao if you're looking at that you can buy the tokens uh you can buy the nft now the member nft and join the discord um and then social fresh is june 21st to 23rd in charlotte north carolina um so you can go to socialfresh.com 2022 to check that out if that's really for people that are professionals in social community or if you're running a startup and you you know are doing your own social community right now it's mm-hmm. it's where you get kind of the best of what's working in social media for businesses today. Awesome. Kai, Jason, thank you. Yeah, I was just going to say thank you. This is a great conversation. Uh, it was really nice to have someone on that. You can tell you're super passionate about this. You probably think about this all the time as I do and, and Jay does as well. Uh, so it's nice to, to speak to someone who's, who's that deep into it. So thanks for joining and uh, yeah, great conversation. Yeah. Thanks. Great to meet you guys.
Have a good one. Thanks so much, listeners. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time on the show. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy. We hope this helps you along your Web3 journey. If it does, please share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. By the way, if you have yet to join the Discord community, you are missing out. This is where all the magic happens. This is where we learn, where we ask questions, where we network. Uh, You want to be in there. The link to join is in the description below. And finally, a quick disclaimer. Nothing in this podcast was financial advice. Crypto and Web3 can be risky. You can literally lose it all. In fact, if you invest on account of what we say, you probably will lose it all. So don't do that. In all honesty, the point of this podcast is to remove the noise of markets and price and focus on utility and implementation anyway. So you should not take any of this as financial advice. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.